Let us pray. Our most eternal and everlasting Father, we're thankful this evening for your love and your mercy. We're equally thankful for the rain that you brought our way without any destructive wind. We're grateful that you do answer our prayers. We're grateful that you continue to show your kindness to us in this area. Father, we have gathered this evening to study a portion of your word. We know that the human mind is incapable of understanding anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. So it is a request that the Holy Spirit will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this evening. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. Still in Exodus chapter 17 verses 8 through 16. He reads in the 1984 edition of the NIV. I'm going to read it, begin reading at verse 10. It says, So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held off his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands. The Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekites' army, with a sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, For hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Now the message of this section of Exodus uh, chapter 17 verses 8 through 16 is to be successful in any endeavor you should combine the physical and the spiritual components of your life with greater emphasis or focus on your spiritual life. Now we emphasize that this message does not mean that you should not work hard in the physical aspect of whatever you are trying to achieve. Only that you must have your focus on the spiritual component of your life. We indicated that the section may be considered as consisting of five paragraphs. We have considered the first two paragraphs. So we come to the third paragraph that is really concerned with the execution of the war described in verses 10 through 12. Now this paragraph focuses on the roles of Joshua and Moses in the execution of the war. However, the majority of the uh, paragraph actually focus on the role of Moses in the success of the war. Now, the role of Moses involves his holding the staff of God in his hand. When he raised his hand, the Israelites were successful in the sense of winning the battle. But when he relaxed it, the Israelites started to lose the war. Does to ensure that Israel continued to win and eventually uh, win the war, the hand of Moses was propped up by Aaron 
and her. Thus, the third paragraph then is focused more on the action of Moses than that of Joshua who was actually in the battlefield. Now, the brief reference to uh, Joshua's action in the battlefield is introduced by a word in the NIV that indicates Joshua's action results from obedience to Moses' instruction. Now this, the NIV then begins verse 10 with the word so. That word so. The word so of the NIV is translated from a Hebrew particle that's often translated and in our English versions. However, the Hebrew particle has several other usages. In our passage, it is used either to introduce the result of Joshua's obedience to Moses' instruction to him to engage in a battle with the Amalekites so that it may be translated so or it may be simply translated therefore. Or it is used really to indicate that what is described in verse 10 follows sequentially to the instruction of Moses, in which case then the particle will be translated something like and then. Now the usage of the particle to begin verse 10 is probably the situation where both interpretations are implied. In other words, the action of, Moses, of Joshua described in verse 10 results from Moses' instruction given to, to him in verse 9, and it is also sequential to that instruction. So be that as it may, the fact remains that Joshua complied with the instruction Moses uh, gave to him, as we read in verse 10 when it says, Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. Now a more literal translation of this sentence is, Joshua did as Moses had said to him to fight with Amalek. Now, this of course is false because we have a Hebrew verb, asa, that has a range of meaning. The word may mean to make, as in God's declaration regarding the activity of creation in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 reads, and hold on to Genesis, uh, the next verse is, uh, passage is also in Genesis. It reads, Then God said, Let us make, that uh, the Hebrew word actually used in our passage, Asa, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now the same word may mean to prepare, as it is used in relation to food, as it was used for the preparation of food that Abraham served his heavenly hosts, I mean heavenly guests in this case, as uh, Recorded in Genesis chapter 18, verse 7. Genesis chapter 18, verse 7. It is Then he ran to the herd. And selected a choice, tender calf, and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. That word prepare is the, uh, translated from the same Hebrew word that we said has a range of meaning. Uh, here it's translated prepared. Now the word may mean to do, as in the description of the failure of the Israelites, uh, in this case the, the midwives, to obey the instruction of Pharaoh to kill the newborn 
boys of the of the Israelites. They did not comply, according to Exodus chapter one, verse seventeen. Exodus chapter one, verse seventeen. It is the midwives, however, feared God and did not do that word. They know the word "do" here is the same uh, Hebrew word that the NIV had in, uh, actually instruct the translate ordered, or as we say for literal translation, mean deed. So here, the word uh, is. Definitely use for the instruction not to, I mean to kill, but they did not do what Pharaoh had demanded, so they let the boys leave. Now the uh, Hebrew word may also mean to act, as it is used to describe what should be Israel's response to the verdict of their priests in legal matters. Once they take legal matters to the priests, they render their decision. They, are, they were to act according to the decision. This is what is given in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 10. Now hold on to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 17 verse 10 reads, You must not act, that's a Hebrew word, you must not act according to the decisions, they, uh, you must act according to the decisions they give you at the place the Lord will choose. Be careful to do everything they direct you to do. Now the word may also mean to follow, as in complying with the instruction of the Lord to Israel to totally destroy the nation in Canaan to avoid being influenced by their pagan practices, as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 18. Deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 18. It is otherwise that's if they don't destroy them. Otherwise they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshipping their gods. And you will sin against the Lord your God. Now the word may simply mean to obey, to obey. As the word is used to indicate uh, the Lord instructed Joshua to carry out the instruction handed down to him by Moses according to Joshua chapter 1 verse 7. Joshua Chapter 1, verse 7. It reads, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey. The same Hebrew will not instruct to obey. To obey all the laws my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Now the one may also mean to carry out some commands. Nonetheless, in our passage of Exodus 17:10, the word has a sense of to comply, uh, sense of compliance to Moses' instruction, so that the word may mean something like to do, that is to carry out or to uh, to act or even to perform an action. 
or a course of action. Hence, majority of our English versions use the word did to translate the Hebrew word. In, although the New Century Version translated the Hebrew word using the word obeyed. Now again, uh, these are some of the reasons why I give you a range of meanings of words and so you have an idea. I'm not expecting you to remember everything. But that you have an idea. That if you, somebody has a different version and they read it from what you have, don't get uptight. So maybe that's how the translators may have used that word. Because the New Century Version, instead of uh, did, they use the word obeyed. <laughs> the New English Bible used the meaning carried out. Same, the same range of meanings of the Hebrew word. So that you should not uh, be uptight about uh, different words used in different versions. Anyway, regardless of the word used, the point is that Joshua complied with Moses' instruction to fight with the Amalekites who attacked the Israelites. In any case, Joshua complied with the instruction of Moses regarding uh, fighting with the Amalekites in the sentence that we're studying in Exodus 17 verse 10. Again, he said, Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. Now, this is a summary statement that conveyed that Joshua conducted the battle against the Amalekites in keeping with the instruction he received from Moses. Now, for one thing, this sentence does not clearly tell us whether Joshua went to war the same day he assembled the fighting men or the next day. It doesn't tell us. Now, the context, though, suggests that Joshua went to war the next day after assembling of the fighting men. Now, that aside, uh, literally, uh, as we have indicated, the Hebrew simply reads, Joshua did as Moses has said to him to fight with Amalek. Now, truly, we, we have a Hebrew verb that basically means uh, that is used for communication and declarations, either between human beings or between God and human. Now, the basic meaning of that, of the Hebrew word used is to say or to utter. Now, it is in this basic meaning that the word is used in Abraham's communication to his wife to assert that she was, or in that case, that she was his sister. In the passage that I've cited several times in, the, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 13. Genesis chapter 12, verse 13. Fearing for his life, he, this is what he instructed uh, Sarah, because Abraham recognized that the wife was physically attractive and uh, uh, he was afraid they're going to kill him for her. So this is what he said. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Now the word also has other nuances such as to promise. But when the word is used by an authority, an authority figure, it may mean something like to order or to command. As the word is used in Elihu's speech about God commanding sinners to repent from evil, as we read in Job chapter 36 verse 10. Job 36 verse 10. Job chapter 36 verse 10. It reads, 
He makes them listen to correction and commands them. That's a, a Hebrew word, amar. Yes, translated command. He commands them to repent of their evil. In our passage of Exodus uh, chapter 17 verse 10, since Moses that communicated to Joshua about fighting the Amalekites is Israel's leader, what he said to Joshua is not an ordinary communication, but an order for him to carry out. Thus, in our verse, the word then has the meaning of to command or to order. So that the literal translation that reads Moses has said to him should be translated to reflect a command. And in this case coming from Moses to Joshua. The idea of command is reflected in the NIV and other English versions such as the contemporary English version that used the word commanded in their translation. Now anyhow, we inform that uh, Joshua complied with Moses' command, so he moved to execute his order of fighting the Amalekites. However, we have stated the execution of the war against the Amalekites by the Israelites involved two fronts, physical and spiritual fronts. Now hence, the action associated with physical war front is followed by an action in the spiritual war front. It is this that is then introduced in the clause where we study in Exodus 17.10. It says, And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. Now that word and is translated from the same Hebrew word that we said previously is often translated and in our English versions. Now, this time in our passage, the particle is used to introduce what happened in addition to Joshua's action of prosecuting the war. So the particle may be translated likewise or also to convey an additional action that occurred following Joshua's action of prosecuting the war or it may be translated while, while, to convey that the action described in the clause that we are considering occurred roughly the same time that Joshua acted by prosecuting the war, and so the Hebrew particle may be translated while. And that is the way you see it translated in some English versions. Now the action that followed involves Moses fulfilling his promise to Joshua of going to the hilltop as, he, as Joshua went to the battlefield. So we read in Exodus 17.10, again it says, And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. Now Moses' travel upwards to the hilltop is given in that word went of the NIV. Now that word went is really from a Hebrew word, Allah. Allah, used that means to go up or to ascend. Now it is in the sense of to ascend that the word is used to describe uh, Jacob's dream, where in the dream he saw the angels going up and down between heaven and earth. It is that Hebrew word that is used in Genesis chapter 28, verse 12. Genesis In Genesis 28 verse 12 He had a dream In which he saw a stairway Resting on the earth With its top Reaching to heaven And the angels of God were ascending And descending on it Ascending here that's our Hebrew word that translated 
went, went up. Now the meaning to go up, of course, applies different, in different ways. The word may mean to go up to God, to go up to God. Thus, it is a word that, is, uh, that describes Moses going up to God on Mount Sinai in Genesis, I mean Exodus chapter 19, verse 3. Exodus chapter 19 verse 3. It is then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said this is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. Now going up to God could refer to a pilgrimage as that required of Israelites three times a year once they settle in the land and God sets up the temple or a place of worship where they will go to offer. This was instruction given to Moses Recorded in Exodus chapter 34, verse 24. Exodus chapter 34, verse 24. So he says, it is, I will drive out nations before you and enlarge your territory and no one will covet your land when you go up three times each year to appear before the Lord your God. That was a special occasion when men were supposed to appear Three times every year, in that, in that at the beginning was where they had the ark and so forth. But then, once Solomon built the temple, that's where they were supposed to go, and that was a pilgrimage. The word used to do that is to go up. So that is a go up to God to do exactly what God wants them to do, uh, in order to. Please him and avoid his judgment. Now, in any case, in our passage of Exodus 17, verse 10, the word means to go up. That is, of course, to travel from a lower to a higher elevation. However, the word really is loaded in its implication. When it just says go up, it's, that's, it's a loaded word. Now, the word implies that Moses was going to war but only in a spiritual sense. He was going to war, but only in a spiritual sense. He's going to the top of the mountain. He's going for war, but in a spiritual sense. Furthermore, it implies that Moses was going to God to seek his help in the battle against the Amalekites. So when he says, he went up. Aram said it's loaded. It means he's going for war. But instead of being in the battlefield, he's in a different field where he would do something else, which is to seek help from God to enable the Israelites defeat the enemy. So we contend then that the idea of going up to the mount, uh, top of the hill implies spiritual warfare because of at least two individuals that went up to the top of the hill with Moses. See, Moses and Aaron were Israel's leaders and priests who no doubt represented the people of Israel before God. Because we know that uh, a priest has 
the primary function is to represent the people before God. So these two men were the priests. And so they went up there in order to uh, carry out a representation for Israel before God. So then when the, these two men went up, there is the implication of a spiritual exercise being involved. They were just going up the mountain, there was a spiritual exercise involved. And so Moses and Aaron were actually acting as priests, representing the people. Now just in case you've forgotten or you have never known, Moses was a priest. Most of all, people hear Aaron as a priest. But Moses was also a priest. This we know from his activities, but it's clearly uh, stated in a direct way in Psalm 99, verse 6. Psalm 99. Psalm 99, verse 6. Psalm 99 verse 6 reads, Moses and Aaron were among his priests. So clearly, Moses was a priest. He was a priest ruler. Now Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord and he answered them. Now Moses and Aaron, as Israel's priests, would in a sense be uh, representing Israel's army before the Lord while at the top of the hill. Now Moses, as the overall commander of Israel, will be isolating himself with the two men that accompanied him. He was, when he did that, he was in the Lord's presence in a unique way that he probably would not have been if he were either in the battlefield with Joshua or in the camp while the battle was going on. So there was some kind of isolation in this case because he's now isolated himself, if we may say, from all distractions. He, by being in this isolated place with only those two men by his side, he was completely isolated. Now, many, many times, you will need to do that to pray. You need to isolate yourself. In other words, cut off everything that's going to distract you. Isolate yourself in order to pray um, in a, a lengthy way. I don't mean crisis prayer. Crisis prayer is said anywhere. But if you want to develop that continual communion with the Lord in prayer, you need to isolate yourself from anything that can distract you. And that's what we're saying here by Moses being in the top of the mountain with all of those two men. No distraction, nothing else. So he'll be focused for sure in what was going on between him and the Lord. So the point then is that Moses, by going to the top of the hill, was involved in a spiritual battle that involves pleading for Israel before God to grant them Success, as will be implied later in the narrative that we are considering. Now Moses took with him another man, like Joshua, had not been introduced previously. There's another man here. We already know about Aaron. This man, his name is Paul. Now the name is used to describe five individuals or in the Old Testament scripture. The first is the one mentioned in our passage. The second is a man from the tribe of Judah as we read in Exodus chapter 35 verse 30. Exodus 
chapter 35 verse 30. It is, then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Now bear in mind that Hur that we're studying, we don't know, his tribe wasn't identified yet because nothing was said more about him. Now the third is really a Midianite king. Uh, killed in war, mentioned in Numbers chapter 31, verse 8. Numbers chapter 31, verse 8. It reads, among their victims were Ezer, Rechem, Zor, Hor, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. They also killed Balaam, son of Beor, with the sword. Now the fourth mentioned is an official of King of Solomon, as stated in First Kings chapter four verse eight. First Kings chapter four verse eight. Some one of the officials of in the administration of uh, Solomon. It reads, these are their names, Ben-Hor, that is son of Hor, in the hill country of Ephraim. Now the fifth is really a family head of those who returned from the exile, as we read in Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 9. Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 9 reads Rephaiah son of Hur ruler of a half district of Jerusalem repair the next section now so the four individuals mentioned at least three of them are clearly from, uh, from the first mentioned name in our passage of study of Exodus 17.10. We are not given further information about him at this point in the book. In the, really in the book of Exodus. So we don't really know if he is the one mentioned later on as being from the tribe of Judah. We don't know. But nothing is said about him. Nonetheless, there are those who speculate that he was the son of Caleb and Ephrat and the grandfather of the famous Atchison Bezalel. Now there's nothing provided in the scripture that clearly supports this view or this interpretation. Nonetheless, the Jewish historian Josephus said that he was Miriam's Husband, that is uh, Miriam's sister, the oldest of the family of Moses and Aaron. So that's why he said that, but we also do not know how to accept that information. Even though Josephus, uh, uh, for most part, what he provided in, in his books are usually accurate, but we don't know how he came up with the fact that. Yeah, this whole was Miriam's husband. We don't know. Although we do not know with certainty the identity of her 
But later, information supplied in Exodus implies then that he was among the leaders of Israel or even the head of the other leaders because of Moses' instruction about, uh, about Israel going to him and Aaron to settle their disputes while he went with Joshua to meet with the Lord in Mount Sinai as stated in Exodus 24 verse 14. Exodus chapter 24 verse 14. Now this because it's mentioned with with Aaron and instruction comes from Moses we believe that this is the same hall that went up with him to the mountain. So we read here he said to the elders Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you. And anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. So it would seem that her was Moses' aid just as Joshua was. That's the most we can know about him. Nothing is told to us about him. So anyway, there must have been something about him that Moses tapped him to be or to go with him and Aaron to the top of the hill there's something about him not revealed to us but clearly made known to Moses that he would tap him to go with him that he accompanied Moses attests though to the fact that God is in control of everything in that he moved Moses to take her along knowing what will happen at the top of the hill that Moses was not aware until it happened. God's plan given and we don't always know we don't know what his plan is until it unfolds. Now, many times I've tried to explain to you prophecy it's nothing but that. Where, when we say prophecy, well, all it means is, here is God's plan. He discloses it ahead of time. That's what prophecy is. So, but here, Moses did not know what's going to happen. But the one who is in control caused him, directed him, to pick her to go with them so that we're three going to that top of the mountain. All I'm saying is that the event that transpired later in the narrative required another person beside Aaron at the top of the hill. There's no way Moses would have known that. Because him with Aaron, that's all they need. That's the two leaders. But God caused him to get the third one. So it is for this reason that we are sad that God who is in control of all things, move Moses in a way not revealed to us to take her along with him. So many times, there are things that happen in your life and you don't make sense out of them. The grace are short that they are in part of God's plan for your life. In due time, you make, you, it, it become clearer to you. Not every one of them will be clearer, but Many, many of these will become clearer as God unfolds them. But to know for sure, even when you don't see any connection of what is taking place in your life right now, the rest are short. He is working it out according to his purpose. Anyway, it's not only that we are not informed of how Moses took her with him, but we are also not told why Moses acted the way he did while on the top of the hill. We are informed that the position of Moses' hand and subsequently his staff affected the progress of the war of Israel with the Amalekites. In effect, if Moses' hand was in upright position, Israel was winning the battle. While if his hand was lowered, Israel was losing the battle. So, 
It is a summary that we are given then in verses 11 and 12. Now we contain that. We are not informed though why Moses did what he did on the top of the hill in the first place. However, something must have transpired between Moses and the Lord that led to the results stated in verse 11 where we are studying. That we will note, of course, at the appropriate time. Now, the reason for stating that something must have transpired between Moses and the Lord is first because verse 11 begins in the Hebrew text with a Hebrew expression that literally translates this way into the English. And it came to pass. That's how the Hebrew actually begins. A word that means, and it came to pass. Now the translators of the New American Standard Bible translated the Hebrew expression in our verse this way. So it came about. That's how they translated it. So it came about. Now this notwithstanding, majority of our English versions did not translate the Hebrew expression. Probably because most often it is not necessary to translate it since it, it starts to introduce a clause and sometimes to indicate the beginning of and or continuance of an action or event. In that case, it doesn't translate it. Now, in others, it is used to introduce something that happened or resulted from the event that was not recorded for us that we contain or transpired between Moses and the Lord. There's something left here that we can demonstrate clearly that something was missing. We're not, it's, it's missing to us, but it's not to Moses because he was interacting with God. So it was clear to him what to do. And I'm going to try to uh, illustrate that later on. Now another reason for stating that something must have transpired between Moses and the Lord that is not reported here is that verse 11 tells of Moses raising of his hands implying raising his staff. Now true Moses knew that his staff described as the uh, staff of God is for miracles as the Lord communicated to him as recorded in Exodus chapter 4, verse 17. Exodus chapter 4, verse 17. We're just going to go through a lot of passages in Exodus now to make a point. Exodus 4, 17 reads, But take this staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous sense with it. Now, despite the fact that Moses' staff is to be used for performing miracles, we have no record of its usage for miracle without a lost instruction to Moses. So I'm going to show you that. Don't go to him. This will be for miracle, but he just didn't until God told him to act, he wouldn't act. Now, in the plague of turning the water of Nile into blood, Moses indicated that he would use his staff to do so because God had instructed him to do so. As we read, still in Exodus 7, look at verse 17. Exodus 7, verse 17 reads, this is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. That means God has instructed him. That you're going to, that's exactly what you're going to do with that uh, staff. Now in the plague of hell, the Lord instructed Moses regarding the raising of his staff 
although indirectly in that the Lord instructed him to stretch his hand, as we read in Exodus 9, verse 22. And hold on to chapter 9, because we'll pick up the next verse too. Exodus 9, verse 22 reads, when the Lord, uh, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, so that, the hell, so that hell will fall all over Egypt, on men and animals, on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. Now, and Moses, no doubt, understood the instruction here then to imply he should raise his staff. Because his staff is always in his hand when he goes to see Pharaoh. And so this we know that he understood that because of, look at verse 23. Same Exodus 9.23 reads, When Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, remember now to him, stretch your hand. But here now it says, when Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hell, and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hell on the land of Egypt. Now in the plague of, in the plague of locusts, the Lord instructed Moses indirectly again to raise his staff, since the instruction was for him to stretch his hand that contained his staff. According to Exodus chapter 10, verse 12. Exodus chapter 10, verse 12. And hold on to the next verse also. We'll pick up the next verse. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over Egypt, so that Locusts will swarm over the land and devour everything growing in the field, everything left by the hell. Now again, Moses, remember what he said, stretch out your hand. But Moses understood that instruction to mean that he should use his staff for instruction, uh, for miracles. Because look at verse, uh, uh, look at Verse 13 reads, So Moses stretched out his staff. Now, is that what he was told? See, that's giving us the explanation. God said, stretch your hand. Because the staff is in his hand. So, as soon as he stretched out his hand, that means he stretched out his staff. So, that's why he said, So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt. And the Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning, the wind had brought the locusts. When the Lord divided the Red Sea through Moses, he instructed him to use his staff for miracle, as recorded in Exodus chapter 14, verses 15 and 16. Exodus chapter 14, verses 15 and 16. It reads, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. So, he did that. He raised his staff because God instructed. Now, when the Lord provided water, of course, for Israel, that we had just finished studying uh, uh, from the rock at Rephidim, the Lord instructed Moses to strike the rock with his staff, according to what we've already studied in this Exodus 17, Verses 5 and 6.
Exodus chapter 17 verses 5 through 6. It reads, The Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand here before you by the rock and hurry. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of all the elders of Israel. Now the reason I go through this, show you is, many times, the way we can establish things is, we see pattern that God has given to us in the scripture. So here we're seeing pattern after pattern, time after time, that Moses never did raise that without instruction from God, in terms of miracle. He never did that. So you know, you know, although God has told him that's what's going to be useful, but he never did that on his own. So by establishing this pattern, it will help us to make a deduction. So then, what I'm saying is in, the, in all the miracles that we have cited, there was no situation in which Moses acted using this, his staff without prior instruction from the Lord. In effect, at no point did Moses act presumptuously by assuming that a miracle was going to occur. I mean, that he was not like some of those today who claim to perform miracles that announce ahead of time that miracles will be performed by them. There are those who hold some crusades and all over the world, and they say, come, there's going to be a miracle today. And when I hear that, I say, somebody's acting presumptuously. How do you know that? Well, if you've been, <laughs> if you've been truthful, man doesn't decide that. God determines when to grant miracle. And so, those who do that, in my judgment, are misleading people. Of course, many people go, and it's never amazes <laughs> me that people do not think critically. They go, they come back, they don't see those miracles promised. Yet the next day, they still go back. Because people are not thinking critically. If you promise it, it wasn't delivered. So why am I to come back uh, expecting the same thing that you've been telling me? Anyway, so in this case, in case of Moses, he was not presumptuous. He never acted any time with that staff until God uh, act, uh, instructed him to do so. Now, so this being the case, we can confidently then assume that there was some communication from the Lord to Moses that caused him to raise, I mean, first of all, to go to the top of the hill with his staff in anticipation of God doing the miraculous through him. It's not recorded. But these things I've gone through will show you that he must, there has be, must be a communication. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done that. So, although it's not written down to us, it was necessary. The man who uh, interacted with God knew that. So God communicated to him in, one, in any way that he has uh, seen fit so that he will go to that mountain or to the hilltop with his staff waiting for God to perform some kind of miracle. So, this information again is not provided, but we have... What we have is what resulted with him holding the hand in the battlefield. That's all that's given to us. The rest of the thing is cut off and it's not necessary at this point. Now anyway, the result is really what 
the result of what happened is what we're going to be considering in our next study. However, let me end by reminding you of the message of this passage that we're considering, which is to be successful in any endeavor, you should combine the physical and the spiritual components of your life with greater focus on your spiritual life. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will cause us to be those who are critical in things, and think clearly, to see and know that you are guiding us before we take actions for whatever it is that we are about to do. Enable us to be able to combine clearly the spiritual and the physical aspects of our life in order to be successful in whatever you are leading us to carry out. This is our request in Christ's name.